It was dark, it was damp, it was hopeless. We've been in this cave for days now, not too sure how long. No light meant no idea what the time was. We were trapped, we were alone, we were hungry, we were thirsty, we were bored, and we were dying. It had been a lovely day when we decided to explore the caves, but now we were trapped. I, I couldn't see much, I didn't want to talk much. What can you talk about? Alone, hopeless. Occasionally we heard a sound and we wondered if someone was coming, a, a splash, a glimmer of hope, but nothing. Could have been anything, but it wasn't help. I woke up at one moment though to some excitement. Noises could be heard, some ripples seemed to appear in the murky water. I tried to adjust my eyes to stare into the darkness and see. Then the ripples became slightly bigger, the, the noises became slightly louder, and surely not. Surely we weren't going to be rescued. I'm not sure how long it had been, it had felt like weeks. Surely they'd forgotten about us. But the ripples became little splashing waves. It sounded like people shouting, echoing. And then for the first time in days I saw it. Emerging out of a tunnel, a flicker of a light, a small prick of light. It was moving, it was bobbing, it was coming closer, still murky, though in the distance. It got closer and closer, brighter and brighter. And for the first time in days, I could see more clearly those around me. I could see the dirt on my clothes, the cuts on my legs. And before long, the growing light became clear. After so long in darkness, it was blinding a bobbing head torch on the head of our rescuer. We were lost and helpless. Now we were found and rescued. The rescuer, the bright-headed hero, then gestured and spoke. He said, friends, in a bit you're going to follow us. You're going to follow us out of this darkness and into the light, from near certain death, from hopelessness to light and life, as we followed our rescuers. You recognise maybe that? Story of the Thai cave rescue from last year. An amazing story of rescue, trapped in there for 12, 13 days. Finally found. And here as we start our new series looking at these claims of Jesus, we see Jesus make this claim, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And we're going to unpack that a bit together today. What a claim it is, isn't it? It's one of the seven we're going to look at, if you looked at on your cards, as we see more about who Jesus is. Um, the book of John, the book we're looking at, is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. It tells us what he said, what he did. And often, uh, the Bible's wrongly treated as a history book, which gives us some interesting facts and figures about a person or a time. But John doesn't allow us to view his book this way. To understand what John is about, like any book, it, if you want to cheat at any book, you go to the start and you go to the end and you work out roughly what's going to happen in the middle. So we're going to cheat. We're going to go to the start of John's book, John 1, verse 14, where John says this. He says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is John introducing Jesus to his readers. See his claims there? He is God. He is from God, from the Father. He is the one and only. 
it's going to be up to us these next seven weeks to examine exactly what John means in these sayings. That's the start of the book. And then we get the end of the book, John 20, 31. We've looked at this earlier and we looked at the book of John at Easter. This is why John wrote his book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah means the promised king of God's people, the rescuer. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wrote his book for the sole purpose of helping us understand the identity of Jesus, helping us understand why he came. That as we understand, we may have life in his name. If you're a guest today, if you don't currently follow Jesus, you're really, really welcome. And we want to say that this is a question, the question of who Jesus is, is the most important one to answer in your life. John did not intend this book to be read as history. These are seven claims of Jesus to be something. As we look at each of them, let's remember John's purpose, that we might believe and have life and life in his name and really live. And if you're a believer in Jesus, maybe you look at these claims, you go, I know this, I've heard this before, I've been sat through a series like this a few years ago maybe. We have the same call, the call to believe and have life in his name, to continue to listen to God's words and be sustained in our faith to help us keep going. So our prayer is that this series, a series over summer, that we see Jesus, we see afresh who he is, what he said about himself, and that we may believe and have life in his name. We're led afresh to worship him, to delight in him, to love him, to adore him, to praise him. That's what we're doing in this series. And so today we're going to look at this outrageous claim of Jesus in chapter 8 of John, I'm the light of the world. What does he mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Well, we need to do a few things with a lot of these claims of Jesus in the book of John. We need to zoom out a bit and see where and when Jesus said this, what he meant and what it meant to the listeners of the day, those he was actually speaking to. It's really important we understand the context um, that he was speaking into. It's always the best way to read the Bible. We can't just take verses without understanding the context as a whole. So those original hearers, they were, they were Jewish leaders, the Pharisees were Jewish leaders, and Jews would have been listening to this because in John chapter 7 to 9, um, Jesus is speaking of a feast, a, f- a major festival in Jerusalem, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. There it is today, what it looks like. Jerusalem, it would have been a bit like Mecca during the Hajj, teeming with people. As the Jews remember the time when God rescued them out of slavery, uh, and they did that through building tents, these weird sort of wooden structures you see, Um, That's what they do nowadays. These sort of tents, they built them in the city to remember the Exodus when they fled Egypt and God brought them out of Egypt through the wilderness, wandering, living as a nomadic people in tents into Israel, into the Promised Land. So they were remembering that this festival and Jesus was there teeming with people uh, in Jerusalem. In verse 37 of chapter 7, then we see him says this, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And now then, In 8 verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. You've got water and you've got light. Um, I'm not massively steeped in Jewish history. Some of you might be. I'm not. Maybe you're not. So let me just explain a bit of the significance of this water and light. The Feast of Booth celebrated two main events. Two main events are when they're wandering through water and light. Water, they remembered when Moses hit a rock in the desert and water flowed for the people to drink when they were thirsty. And then light, when God led the Jews to a pillar of light which went ahead of them, leading them out of the darkness of slavery and into light. And we see it there, that's the temple lit up in Jerusalem. 
And what they would have done is they would have lighted four massive lights. And it was said that the light from a temple area glowed over all Jerusalem as they remembered the pillar of light which went ahead of them. It's a common image now, isn't it? That of light, that you think of a lighthouse guiding ships, a torch-led procession, headlights on a car, a beacon leading the way, a light going ahead enabling us to see the way. So when Jesus stands among the Jews at this festival all about water and light, let us feel the shock of his words of this claim. Because what they would have heard, they knew their history, they knew here that Jesus was claiming to be God. The one who allowed water to flow from the rock and who went ahead as a pillar of light, he's saying, I am he. That Jewish listeners at the time, they would have also heard Isaiah 42 in their heads. Isaiah was a prophet um, thousands of years before Jesus, or hundreds even, uh, and he said this. He said, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to three captives from prison, and to release from a dungeon those who sit in darkness. Jesus is saying he is the light, which has come to be a light for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to open the eyes of the blind and to free the captives. They would have got that as they were listening. This is who Jesus is saying he is. The actual phrase, I am, is also key. For the word, I am, it is the name of God. It's a bit odd, but Moses in Exodus 3, he said this when, he, when Moses saw the burning bush. He said this in Exodus 3. He said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Well, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. For some ways it makes sense. I am. I am permanent. I am present. This is what God is saying. So again, for the listeners of the day, when Jesus stood up in Jerusalem and said, I am the light of the world, he's making an outrageous claim. It echoes back to the start of John's book in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's referring to Jesus here. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This itself echoes back to creation, the beginning of time, the creation of the world. Jesus saying, I am God. I am the creator. I'm the light who has overcome the darkness. And so, as Jenny read for us, in the rest of chapter 8, it all kicks off. The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, hate this, understandably. If I was to make this claim and say I was God, you would probably snicker, laugh, and probably chuck me out and ask me to go on my way. Or you'd just treat me as a madman. C.S. Lewis famously said with Jesus' claims, he's either mad, he's either bad, he's evil, or he's God. Those are three options. And as we look at these seven claims of Jesus, that's the three options we've got. He's either mad, he's either bad, he's either God. You can't say he's a good person because he says some crazy things. You can't just say he's a good teacher. You see, for the Jews, even uttering the name of God, I am, or writing it down, was hugely offensive because of his awe and his holiness. Maybe something we can learn in some ways. I lived for a year with a Jewish girl who would only ever write G-D. She would never write the full name of God anywhere. That's how seriously they took it of honouring God's name. And Jesus standing before them and going, I am the light of the world. I'm the one who brought 
creation out of nothing. I am a creator. I'm God himself. It's an outrageous claim. Now, it's important that we look at what we think he means here by the light of the world. We've seen how he's referencing who God is, but what does light do? Well, light, I think it does, it does more things, but here's three things it does do. It exposes. Light brings things that were in the dark into the light. Life is life-giving. Think of plants. They need light, the sun, to bring them to life. That's my massive bit of biology I know about. And light always wins over darkness. Think about it. The, any other opposite often has a fairly even match about it except light. Darkness literally will always be defeated by light. It can never defeat light. On a clear night, this is a ridiculous stat, a candle on a hilltop can be seen 43 miles away. I'm presuming that's pre-light pollution in the middle of nowhere, but still, 43 miles, that's insane. Light is pretty invincible. So let's just look at them a little briefly. So firstly, it exposes. Um, anyone ever gone camping in the dark? It's not my favorite activity, but I've done it quite a few times. Middle of the night then, you're, you're lying in your tent, you hear a noise, you hear a rustle outside. And then you can't go back to sleep, can you? Because you don't know what that is. And so you've got to get outside, because inevitably in your head, you've built that up to be a big, scary animal outside your tent. So there you go. There's the man. He walks outside his tent. He's put his head torch on. And he's shining it back and forth, trying to see what it is, I mean, he sees a small little mouse just scuttle in and out of shot and into the trees. Light exposes, it exposes what is really there. It shows things as they really are. Think of an x-ray, it's a type of light which exposes what is happening to our bones. Again, there's my science for you. But it's a type of light, it exposes, it shows us what's going on. Light exposes, and Jesus in chapter eight, he's exposing the Pharisees. In verse 26, he says, I have much to say, in judgment over you. The light exposes. How many of us would really want our lives truly and fully exposed? What we say, what we think, what we do. Light exposes, and ultimately I want to say that's a good thing, because we're going to see it a little bit later. We need to recognize our sin, who we are. We need to recognize our rebellion against God, our brokenness, our need for him. We're going to see it a bit later. We need light to expose us. And Jesus here, he looks to expose the Pharisees, expose their wrong thinking, expose their wrong practice and their beliefs. So light, it exposes. Secondly, it's life-giving. Remember back to John 1, we saw in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In this passage, uh, light is equated to life, and thus darkness to death. Look down with me in chapter 8, as he debates the Pharisees, verse 21, he says this, he says, I'm going away and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Verse 23 says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you did not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Now read verse 12 again with me. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See what's implicit in that verse? Those who don't follow Jesus are in darkness. Darkness in the Bible, it always speaks of God's judgment of our sin, our rejection of God's rule and human rebellion. Makes sense. Turn your back on God. Turn your back on the fount of truth and reason, the light of the world who brought light out of nothing, and you're bound to be in the dark. And darkness here equals death. It's a warning throughout the Bible. 
in Jesus, we can have life. This is the offer. We can have life in all its fullness as we trust and follow him. But without Jesus, there is no life. There is separation from God for eternity and death. Those are the two options, light or darkness. We can either walk in the light and have eternal life or walk in the darkness and experience eternal death. So light is life-giving and the opposite, darkness is death. Finally then, it always wins over darkness. This is the encouragement. This is a joy here. As we've said, it always wins. Look down me in verse 28 as he's explaining, as he's defending himself to the Pharisees of who he is, of why he can make this claim. He says this, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he. Literally, then you'll know that I am. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. See, in verse 28, lifted up in John always refers to the cross. Our hope is at the cross. It's here that Jesus draws everyone to himself, that he took on the sins of everyone. As darkness fell, it literally, darkness literally fell for three hours as he died on the cross. Showed God's judgment being satisfied. And Jesus says here, as he's on the cross, then you'll know that I am. That phrase again, I am. And as we look to the cross, we see God. That's what he's saying here. As you lift up, you will see who I really am, Pharisees. We see in the book of Mark, the Roman centurion, as he sees Jesus dies, declares, surely this man is the Son of God. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he. If we see a light bulb, you know that central filament, that bit which shines brightest, this is quite a scientific talk, this. That is the cross. As we look at the light of the world, as we look at the filament, that is the cross where it is lightest as Jesus dies in the place of mankind and offers life as he defeats death because light always defeats darkness. This is what light does, those three things we've seen. It exposes, it's life-giving, and it always wins. And as Jesus declared this, as we've seen, it's deeply offensive to the Pharisees, to the Jews listening in, because he's saying really clearly here, I alone can offer you the rescue you need from judgment and death, which means they can't, which means you can't, which means we can't go, well, I can save myself. He's going, no, the only way to life is through me. We're going to see that later when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way for the Father is through me. We're going to see it again. But he's seeing this really clearly. Verse 23, again, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you did not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. He's saying to the Jews listening in, you're in desperate need of rescue, and I am the promised rescuer. In chapter 8, as the Pharisees quiz Jesus, we see him say this, as he says again and again, he's from the Father, he's sent to this earth, that he's the promised Messiah. They would have heard this and gone, these claims are outrageous as we see them look to kill him later. And what he's saying to the Pharisees is your works, your religion will not save you. Being good will not save you. Following Jesus will. We're going to look at it in a minute. All of us are in need of rescue. I am the light of the world. And then it goes on, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That was the application for the Jews, and it's the same for us. To follow means to believe in him, follow him, to trust him. And the results are light and life for the believer. What an offer that is. As I've said, if you don't follow Jesus today, 
He alone is the way to have life in all its fullness now and for eternity. We can declare it is life in all its fullness now with him. And it's a reminder for those of us who do follow Jesus not to add to our faith. We just need to recognize that without Jesus, we're in darkness. Recognize who Jesus is and follow him. It doesn't say whoever follows me and does this and does that and does that will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. It just says whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light and life. You see, it wouldn't have worked and they likely all would have died if the Thai boys had tried to rescue themselves. They would have got trapped again. They would have drowned. They would have been trapped and killed. They needed a rescuer or a hundred or a thousand, however many it was in the end. They couldn't have done it themselves. We need to recognize this and be shaped by this truth that we're enslaved in darkness unless Jesus sets us free. And let's look at that now. We're going to look at the sign which accompanies what Jesus says. You see this throughout the book of John. He makes a claim and then he demonstrates how he fills that claim. We see that in John 9. So flick to it, but we're not going to read it in depth. But in chapter 9, we get the sign of the blind man whose sight is restored. We looked at it a little bit a few weeks ago. And it's a sign to show us again what we are like and who Jesus is. But I want you to notice mainly the reaction of the Pharisees here. Jesus heals the man born blind. He gets him to put mud in his eyes and go and wash, and then he's healed and he sees. And then basically, as we look through verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. So talk about Jesus, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Verse 18, they still did not believe that he had been blind and he'd received his sight until they sent for a man's parents. Verse 22, the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, that is Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Verse 28, then they held insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We're the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. You see, Jesus is the light of the world, and light, as we've seen, exposes. It gives life, and it always wins. But it also does two more things. It blinds, and it illuminates. Look down with me at the end of chapter 9. I'm going to read it all together. Chapter 9, verses 35 to 41. As they've had this back and forth, with the Pharisees, with the parents of the blind man, with the blind man, and the blind man's gone, well, I was healed, like, look at it. And then Jesus says this in verse 35, he said, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, that is the blind man. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? It's a term which is often used for God. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. We see here, the light of the world blinds the hard-hearted Pharisees, who are convinced they already see everything. They're convinced they know everything, convinced that this man, this carpenter from Nazareth, could not possibly be the promised rescuer of the Jews. They're blinded to the truth. 
We saw in chapter 8 they quizzed Jesus on who he was, where he came from, on how he could make these claims, and we refused to believe he was the Messiah. It blinds, but it also illuminates those who are willing to believe the significance of the sign. Remember back to Isaiah 42? As the prophet said, they said, I'll keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from a dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is Jesus. He's come to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from a dungeon those who sit in darkness. And Jesus does here in chapter 9 what he alone can do. He opens the eyes of this blind man. He couldn't do it himself. He was blind and he enables him to see for the first time. Restoring this physical sight is the sign that he and he alone can give spiritual sight, that he and he alone can rescue us. He alone is the means by which we can believe. Verse 41 is key. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. He's saying if you recognised you were blind, if you realised you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, guilt remains. So what does this mean for us now? How does this help us now to live? What is Jesus intending us to understand and them at the time to understand? I think there's a few things. Firstly, let's not get dismayed at the seeming impossibility sometimes of people acknowledging God's rescuer. The Pharisees saw him, they literally saw him. They saw the sign as well, and they still rejected him. They eventually killed him. They thought they could see, and they thought they knew it all, and they ignored God himself in front of them. Don Carson, he says this in his commentary on John, he says, the only qualification for sight to be given is a recognition of blindness. But for those who think they can see, there is no hope. That's verse 41, which is key to this whole passage. We need to remember we're in blind and in need of rescue and give God great praise for that. As we said, for the Thai boys right at the start, the most important thing was that they wait to be rescued and then obediently follow their rescuers, trusting them alone for their salvation. If they're gone, oh, I've got a better way to do it, guys. It would have been ridiculous. They didn't tell the rescuers how to do their jobs. They just followed the rescuers' instructions and trusted in them to bring them from what was near certain death to life. Jesus is our rescuer. We're going to sing about it in a bit. He's the light in the darkness. He's the one who comes and shines the light, exposes our sin, exposes our need for salvation, and doesn't just leave us there, does he? He offers us life as we follow him, and he alone can open blind eyes. Do you have friends or family who you long to turn to Jesus. He alone can do it. Not your clever words, not your arguments. Let's pray, let's pray and pray and pray and depend on God and trust that he alone can open blind eyes. And let's be humbled. We don't sit here today because we're more enlightened than anyone else, because we're cleverer than anyone else, more special than anyone else. We've been chosen and our eyes have been opened by God, which is amazing, which is special, which is delightful, but not because we bring anything to the table ourselves. It wasn't because of our intellect or our social standing or our upbringing or anything like that. It was because like the blind man, Jesus sought you out, opened your eyes. He couldn't unblind himself, that man. Only Jesus, the light of the world, could. So let's give God great praise for that. Because that's why we sit here today and we sing praises today. And so we're going to sing now. Chris, why don't you come up? 
And we're going to sing these words. We're going to sing, Light of the world, you stepped down into darkness, opened my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. It then goes on, this song, to talk about the only right response to these facts. If this is true, if this is true for you, the only right response is that here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you are my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. So if you're a follower of Jesus here today, sing those words loud and confidently in praise to the one who rescued you from the darkness. And if that's not you today, if you don't yet follow Jesus, you're so welcome. Look at these words. Think of this man, Jesus, and keep coming back this summer to see more of who he is. So let's stand, if you're able, let's sing together.